Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Hey, everybody. Uh, no, apologies. no apologies the, this week because we actually did a Silmarillion end of all podcast. Things. Yeah, at the end of all things. And we actually did a Silmarillion podcast last week between many, many other episodes trying to catch up with stuff. So anyway, we are here. We are into the well, – I'm thinking this might be the second and last – maybe it's the very last episode if we can get through it all since there's so much information here uh, in Of the Rings of Power and the Third Age. But guys, hey, wait. I, ha- I have something I need to show you. Um, and – um, and again, and there's something special for our members in this. So this is a, uh, a, a, an interesting look at. All that is gold does not glitter. I'm going to have to come out of, go out of camera for just a second. Talk, okay. th- talk amongst yourselves. I'll be oh, like, that's a great shirt. Seconds. I'm glad that the two of us decided that green was the color today and Jonathan didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he did. I guess his background's green. But, All right, uh, guys. What do you think? Nice shirt. (laughs) What do you think? Isn't that awesome? I think that you should wear that hat to our next interview. Yeah. Do you have uh, Do you have any documents in your bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For those of you listening, I have I have a hat that says "Make Tolkien Great Again," and it's it's a very I like I even tried to make it look like the the crappy Trump hat. I mean, the awesome <laughs> Trump hat. <laughs> the best hat ever. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was fun, man. I, I found out that, awesome. that this R right here on great is a different font than the rest of this font from the original one. So, so one, I'm, if you guys want, I'll, wow. I'll, I'll send you each one of these here. And for everybody, one. For everybody else, um, we do have, you can purchase these here uh, on our shop. If you go to shop dot the one ring what we have a shop we wow. have a shop. Um, that's how you know you made it and that's uh right. yeah job, yeah you can do that so and uh if you listen if you're if you're actually listening to this you can get two dollars off this hat i know it's not a whole lot but like there's very little like profit in these things but two dollars off nice. this hat uh if you use the code great g-r-e-a-t so you got this hat <laughs> and then, uh, oh, look, you can do different colors too. You can do gray or black. And if you really want to go out, you can go camo. Look at that. Right? Make Tolkien great again with a camo hat. That's funny. And if you want the snapback hats, we got those too right here. Oh, nice. Um, and nice. Uh, yeah, all the colors possible. And use the code great. You'll get $2 off for our members in the extended podcast. We'll have a code that gets you more than I that feel like twice it's... as much. I feel like if I bought the red one in California, I would need to have it be armor plated. <laughs> I know I, I haven't worn this out anywhere either because uh, I'm thinking like people be like, yeah, great. What? Why is what? Huh? Who's this? Guy? I kind I kind of want the maroon version yeah. um, because, because maroon is a better red than that than 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 I searing red in my opinion, and also mm-hmm. and also, mm-hmm. um, you know. I can just call myself a maroon. What a maroon. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Old Bugs um, Bunny joke. So, uh, does, does the side of the hat have the number 47? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> no. Oh, boy. Nor oh, boy. does it have 54 or 73 or 37 or any of the years that are important to Tolkien, not 47. Yeah. My goodness. So, yeah, you can uh, get that hat. 20, $28.99, get it for $2 off, $26.99. And it's actually, you know, it's pretty good quality. I mean, it's it's stitched, it's not printed, so it's not coming off anytime soon. Nice. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it looks really good. So just hmm. use the code GREAT, get $2 off and Sweet. Uh, wear it out. And if you're, in a, if you're in a blue state, be careful, even though it says the right thing. <laughs> Maybe Just wear just by the camo version if you're in the blue state. <laughs> right. right. Actually, by the time this posts, I'm sure I'll have some other stuff on the shop, shop.thelearning.com. Uh, it's linked in at the, just the learning.com too. In fact, these here should be below. They should be below in our YouTube. We'll I'll connect it so that you can see. I don't know. I kind of like the fact that the only thing you can buy in our shop is a <laughs> it's talking talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome. Um, see, but it, commun- communism is good in some cases, like the home <laughs> and our, our one ring.com shop. 
Yeah, I well, you know, I had had a had a one hat up for for quite a while, and somebody purchased it. It was just the One Ring logo on the hat, and I have no idea who did it, who bought it, and uh, then I took it off because I'm like, oh, that was a test, but it was still good. But it was like a test. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So there will be more stuff. There'll be more hats. I'll put more T-shirts on. I'm gonna try and create some other um, um, uh, creative things, some more thoughtful things. I don't know. We'll see. But this is the first one. I thought it was kind of fun to have it because you know what? We're talking about of the rings of power in the third age and we're seeing what Tolkien is great in here in the actual writing of this chapter. And then we got the rings of power last year. So, you know, that was, you got to make it great again by reading it, by doing the things that, uh, he actually said and by not, not giving in to this idea that, uh, any reworking of Tolkien is just a-okay. Like, no, you got to go back to what the roots are. And if you don't, mm. then it's just never quite as good. But Jonathan, I re- recently read a new book. <laughs> don't but... go there yet. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, I can, I can do it as a joke. I'm not going <laughs> to say which one. Okay, sure. Go ahead, Michael. So mm-hmm. Tell us this I recently, joke. I recently read in a book that one should not prioritize. There is no hierarchy amongst Tolkien. Um, creations right. that uh, the the books are not to be prioritized over everything else. Right. Yes, this isn't a book we are reading. Hmm. We will be actually be talking to the author apparently at some point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, uh, some people believe that. That's what Disney, how Disney approaches Star Wars for sure. Anything new and different is the same. But right. I don't know that Gollum game doesn't uh, give me much hope for putting it on the same pedestal. As <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about the Gollum game on uh, on the our our uh, Tolkien live cast. Oh yeah! Did you play it? Have you gotten into it yet? Oh no, no, I'm not. Pl- I told you already. I'm not playing it. I watched other people play it and I laughed at them, and that was it. Mm. Oh, it was so bad. Okay, that, so guys, we are let's let's move into uh, our actual podcast. Oh, but first, I gotta say, of course, if you want to get the extended podcast, and if you want to get the greater discount than just using the word "great," uh, you can go to theonery.com/slash/member, become a member, uh, join us on Discord. We've got a bunch of great questions to ask. Like, uh, we're going to talk about how Tolkien actually said two different things in the Silmarillion versus the Lord of the Rings about how the ring was destroyed. Because <laughs> in the Silmarillion, he writes that he actually cast it into the fire and in the Lord of the Rings, he, he doesn't cast it into the fire. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, timelines and certain things. Um, we'll talk about uh, how the battle sequence played out between Sauron and Isildur. What did that really look like? Because, I, you know, honestly, I never really enjoyed Peter Jackson's, like, Sauron is reaching down slowly like a bad dream and then yep. Isildur just reaches up with the broken shards and cuts it off. I think there was a bigger battle of actually, like, they actually fought. Like, they well, were there absolutely was. Yeah. There absolutely so, was. So, um, anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit. Hmm. Um, and then uh, if you want to get, yeah, get, the, get, get into Discord, we can ask those questions, get our extended podcast where we'll do that, and get the discount code, which you can get by re- either listening to our extended podcast, uh, or I'll put in the show notes there, too, if I remember. Oh. A lot of same things to remember, and uh, I'll post in a Discord for everybody there too. So anyway, go to theonery.com/slash member, become a member. It's four dollars a month. First month is free, and if you're like Adam, Harrison, Lynn, or Chuck, uh, they they do they go above and beyond what's necessary in order to support us, and we really appreciate them. They they are they are sponsors, uh, and they do twenty a month, and we really 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 appreciate that. So theonery.com/slash member. All right, Dan, we are going to try and finish this out, and you're going to give us our last our last. I don't know. Our, uh, it sounds weird to say our last Dan's mm. big thought, but that's what it is. It's our last big thought. You'll never have one ever again. So actually, no, I expect more from you coming up too. So here we go. Dan's big thought. Okay. So the third age is described as a time of weariness, of waning, of failing. Uh, I think Tolkien writes, those were the fading years. And I guess my big thoughts related to that, it, it, this idea that in the third age, you have the elves finally coming to an end of their time on Middle Earth, and now it's the time of men. Um, so I know I'm kind of jumping ahead because I think we're talking about recounting some of the stuff in the second age, and then we're getting into the third age. Um, so like, I don't know if Tolkien wrote on this anywhere, but it seems like in Tolkien's thinking for for him mythology is all kind of connected to memory it's all that all that fairy stuff is somewhere in the past and we we know it's true but we just don't see it in our everyday modern era our modern life now 
it's it's like a it's almost like a connection to something that we should be connected to but now we're separated by some distance of time or circumstance like there's there's something in us when he's telling these stories and these myths and these these legends about elves um it, it's like telling it's telling about who we are who we where we came from there's something about us that we don't see normally now and there, there seems to be something significant to tolkien about that, that the elves are leaving and now the men are here all alone and i'm wondering what i'm wondering what you guys think about that because I, I don't know if i'm just pulling this out of out of nowhere but we, we've, no. we've now read about the first age they're coming to the second age we're coming to the third age and now after that no more elves it's, and he ha- he felt it important to tell the story about elves for some reason yeah and it's i think maybe it sums up in the in the last paragraph of the entire silmarillion where uh he writes just this one phrase and to the firstborn the world grew old and gray which means that we are currently living in a world that is old and gray compared right. to what it was um and yeah, I, I, I really feel that Tolkien was trying to write. He, was, he wrote to discover the story. He didn't write to tell the story. Um, and that discovery led to the beauties that he saw in his, that, that ultimately that he saw that he's trying to communicate that are far beyond what we have today. And so I do think that what he's trying to do is trying to rekindle that a little bit and to help us understand what true beauty is. I mean, trying to, des- to describe, think of it like where we started off with um, Feanor and the Silmarils. He's trying to describe the most beautiful gems ever in the history of the world. And all we have, it's, it's, like, it's like trying to, to me, it's like mm. trying to describe, to, to, to describe uh, the sun to somebody who's never been able to see, who's lived in darkness their whole life. Uh, and in the same way, that's what he's trying to do to us. He's trying to describe a world that is really impossible. What does it mean that these buildings and these things is um, in, in an interview that uh, we did yesterday with an artist? Uh, he said that if he found it incredibly difficult to to portray like the most beautiful ships that were ever wrought, because Tolkien doesn't really describe them other than saying they're sw- swan ships. He doesn't talk about uh, the angles and the curves and the bre- breadth and the width. And that's not there. There aren't the details in there. He he's able to convey that in prose. And so we get a glimpse of it, but I mean, yeah, I think he's trying to convey that discovery to us, that myth, that true myth that he thinks, you know, that he doesn't believe it actually happened, but the beauty of it that he right. put in his discovery. I don't know. That's kind of a little rambling, but Michael, what do you think? I think the principles of Tolkien's middle earth that recur throughout the cycles of his history. I think he thinks that that is true in the real world too. So I think there are recurring principles, metaphysical principles that keep happening over and over, you know, on a very lowbrow level, we often say that, you know, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. And so there's a, there's all human beings have always, or not always, but often had a cyclic understanding of history. And so Tolkien, I mean, Aristotle famously thought that time itself was just this cycle that kept going forever. And, um, and so Tolkien is, I think he's tapping into um, the themes of myth, which include the idea that there are truths which keep recurring over and over again. There are enemies that keep recurring over and over again. There's battles and things to be worth, that are worth fighting for and that, that keep occurring over and over again. And so, and this is where the value of myth comes in, is, is that, you know, the practical value, if you want to talk, there's an imaginative value to it as well, but there's a practical value in, in myth making and myth telling. What is, what are one of those things that you think he's trying to communicate? Through the, the through the Silmarillion or, yeah. or, or, or in a particular story? No, I, I mean, you said there are general, you know, philosophical, like the, how do you put it? Uh, this is where I need instant replay. Well, but, okay. Here, here's an easy principle. It's the principle of entropy. All you know, and scientists see this. So there's in the material world, there's continuous degeneration, and things mm-hmm. start are just slowly in the physical goes universe. From order to disorder. Yeah. Go from oh yeah, exactly. They start falling apart, and over time, everything is falling apart. In Tolkien's world, that happens in front of your eyes. There was there. I mean. Well, in front of your historical eyes, because we're reading across centuries, but but you're you're seeing the good, the great, the beautiful, and not not that everything was perfect in the beginning, and all it is it is a degeneration from that, because there are definitely cycles of renewal. There are you know 
periods in which the men grew great, the elves grew great, the dwarves grew great, um, and, and had certain heights. But generally speaking, as time goes on, there's a diminishment of what is good and great throughout history and um, in Tolkien's mind. And in the real world, we see that there are principles that sometimes we reach heights of. And then, you know, the, Rena the Renaissance, for example, the idea behind the Renaissance was you were rediscovering these ancient principles of the, the best principles from ancient Greece and Rome. And you, in, in other words, you weren't like inventing new principles of your own. That's progressivism, by the way. You were you are returning to the good and great old principles. And so and so there's this idea that the only way to really, and you see this with Aragorn too, Aragorn, the reign of Aragorn is a return to the, you know, a, a diminished version perhaps, but still hearkening back to the men, the great, to Numenor of old and the, the blood that um, still remains of the Numenorians in, um, mm -hmm. in so there's an example from the Lord of the Rings, but um, but yeah, Tolkien is doing it all the time in the Silmarillion. Does that? What do you think of all that, Dan? <laughs> said what yeah, said. yeah. It it almost seems like he's just trying to remind us that that there are things that are true that will always well, resurface. They'll always yeah. come back to show right. themselves through 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 time and through our own lives and things that we need to remember about ourselves. And yeah. I, I, I guess, I guess where my thought was going is like, he had some purpose of bringing the elves into his mythology and, and have them leave. And now there's no elves. And I, it makes me wonder like, what, what about, what is it about the elves that he wants us to, you know, think about <laughs> now, now that they're gone. I think it was, um, it was uh, Garrett in our last uh, our last live stream who said who pointed out that Dostoevsky said beauty will save the world. Um, I mean, granted, you know, I mean, there's there's more to that, right? And and truth and beauty kind of go hand in hand because beauty is kind of to me, I, it's like the physical embodiment of truth of like when you when you when truth is revealed to you it's somehow beautiful <clears throat> even though it might be difficult at times right you can say the for instance the the crucifixion and the resurrection is beautiful because of what it does and you could say that uh you know well yeah so and it reminds me also then too of of what's what the the way tolkien communicated to lewis because he said that you know christ was the true myth um and everything else is sort of like a reflection or a prism of that. Uh, the stories that we write, the, uh, the truth and the beauty that we experience. And so we are like what we were doing, we're hearkening back to what the true myth of Christ was in, in that, that the, 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 the life of him and the way that he saved the world, right? And w which will truly come to an end at some point, right? In the same way that Tolkien wrote that the Silmarillion is a, is a long history of, of destruction and woe uh, until the final battled till the final um the until until truth wins out in the end when iluvatar returns and we don't know what that means what, what, what tolkien was going with that but right you know what's interesting let's bring it to something very specific in this chapter um okay. which is which is the coming of the uh istari uh the wizards one of the things that struck me about this chapter when the second part of this chapter when we read about that and we're going to cover different parts of this chapter. I'm not skipping right to that. I'm not passing by some great stuff in the middle, but um, but for this comment I am because what it reminds me of is that in the cycle of Middle Earth, the spirit of Iluvatar is always there. He's always, and usually acting through the Valar, but even in the Lord of the Rings, you see Lubitar himself does things. Gandalf is is incredibly faithful about. I mean, he's 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 absolutely certain that there is a purpose and a purposer um, guiding everything. And then we are basically told that Gandalf has been resurrected not by the Valar but but by Lubitar. And so there's a there there's a um, a sense that Lubitar is always watching over everything, and and the sense of you catastrophe is. Mm -hmm built is built into that as well here in this chapter you have a situ an interesting situation right you have um the fall so it all started with the fall of morgoth and then you have this the, the the second age and the second age is basically all about the rise of numenor and the fall of numenor 
and and you know this greatest um, uh, uh, civilization of men in Tolkien's Middle Earth. Well, at the end of that, despite their the Numenorians' utter depravity and their island actually being sunk into the ocean, um, a remnant of them and their goodness is preserved, basically on, uh, by Iluvatar, who got who protects them as their ships are carried on towers of wave of water, basically um, away from Numenor. And then they become this force for good in Middle Earth, and then they, then the Sauron comes back, and the men and the elves come together and they defeat him, and but in the defeat they are greatly diminished, and the the power of the Numenorians of the Dunedain wanes, of the of the men of of Westerness wanes, and the elves power of the elves wane, and so what happens? the Ishtari are sent. So there's always an answer. There's always something where Luvatar, through the Valar in this case, are sending is sending the this aid that people need, even though things are slowly degrading. And so it's always it's fascinating to me that I I see the coming of this story as as another answer in the in the cycle of Luvatar's aid to the peoples of Middle Earth. Like there's he always has a plan mm-hmm. to help them. And even but this is a fascinating thing for Tolkien, right? Because you have the balance where Tolkien, more than many other authors, emphasizes the power, the terrible power, and almost inevitability of evil. Like Sauron, Morgoth and Sauron are almost unbeatable for, except by the Valar themselves, almost always. Um, and 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 even when they are defeated, it's like tremendous tragic cost, like the, the last alliance of elves and men. Where the two greatest kings of the elves and men are are killed, Elendil and Gilgalad, or Gilgalad. Um, so, so it, it's 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 this interesting. Right. Like, there's always hope, but there's a darkness, and there's always hope, and there's more darkness, and then there's the stars above the darkness, but there's still darkness, mm-hmm. and 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 the darkness is sometimes in the hearts of men, and sometimes it's an external darkness, but there's always darkness, and then there's light that's above it. So, Tolkien is always playing that cycle. Isn't it interesting that you, you I, this is a, I don't know, this is a little tangential thought, but the the final destruction of Sauron wasn't done through armies, right? It was done through the the workings, essentially, you'd say even by Gandalf, right? Um, uh, you were meant to have the ring, you know? Mm-hmm. Frodo Bilbo was meant to have the ring. There are things at work that you don't understand, and right. Gollum may still have a, a point to play, and all that points back to that eucatastrophe of of what God is doing in the world. Um, that And that's what overthrows Sauron. That's what brings around the utter destruction. Without, I mean, there's loss of life in Gondor, but without, you know, grand armies coming in and destroying it, it just takes... Um, the, well, it, it takes you catastrophe in order to, to see it through. And if, if not, then maybe you get the entire destruction of half the world in the, at the end of the first stage in order to get to get Melkor. So, man, this is kind of like something we're going to have to do as a whole separate podcast. I feel like this, 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 this is deep. <laughs> we're going to have yeah. to like. Well, uh, and I'm, I'm looking bad. forward to. I'm, no, you're good. I'm <laughs> looking forward. You know, this is the maybe the penultimate episode of the Silmarillion for us. Mm-hmm. But we are planning on having a final episode where we talk about the Silmarillion as a whole. And so I feel like your question, your observation, Dan, your big thought just kind of led into one of the larger observations about the book as a whole. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So let's talk then about this chapter. This chapter felt a little bit like a history book because it, because, well, it comes in with all the stuff that one, we've already learned about, right? We learned about um, the entire second age and well, not the entire, the entire part of Numenor in the second age and a Calabeth. And we learned about what happens with the one ring in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, but there are other things to talk about. Is there anything that you guys had that, that stood out? One thing I want to say that I, I realized in reading this here this time through was well, I realized it before, but it brought it home again. Is that the three great cities of uh, of of Gondor uh, minus Anor, right? We have Osgiliath and minus. Gosh, am I going to get this wrong? Uh, minus Morgul, which was pre- previously minus Minas Ithil. Minas Ithil, right? And so Osgiliath, and watching the films, Osgiliath is the great city. 
right? It's on the river. And I feel like it looks like a little hamlet in Peter Jackson's films. And so reading this through, I'm like, oh, that's where the two kings from both sides came together and had their two seats of power there. And this was the great city. And to see it like off in the distance as this, these, these white, like small white buildings felt, felt small to me. Felt it did. Awesome. It does feel small. I mean, that's actually one of the things that I love about the, um, this may be a left turn, but the game Lord of the Rings online is that they make Osgiliath, the ruins of Osgiliath, because Osgiliath is, is ruins after, during the war of the ring. Um, but they make the ruins of Osgiliath massive. Like Osgiliath is, right. is this huge city and you, you can, you can adventure for days inside of it. And, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Let me read what game I'll, perspective. I'll read what Tolkien wrote about. It. He wrote, he wrote the chief city of the Southern realm was Osgiliath through the midst of which the great river flowed. And the Numenorians built there a great bridge upon which upon the bridge, there were towers and houses of stone, wonderful to behold. And tall ships came out of the sea to the, to the keys of the city, or quays of the city. Uh, it's, I, I it's, just, it's keys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and to have it, I mean, I feel like if they would have done, I feel like, I don't know, like where I feel like they dismissed these little things in the films. Like I wanted to see that great bridge with the towers still left over. And when they assaulted, right, there's there's a bridge that Frodo stands on in, in when he's in Osgiliath, but, uh, which he shouldn't have been there anyway, but that's a whole other point. But yeah, Minas Ethel, and Minas Anor and Osgiliath in the middle, and Osgiliath is greater than either of those. Minas Anor becomes Minas Tirith. So, anyway, that was one of my takeaways. Did you guys have one that uh, stood out to you? Um, instead of just going through it, and this happened, and this happened, this one happened. Let's talk about what we <laughs> yeah, we, right. Well, I think you're right in pointing out that <clears throat> essentially this remaining part of the chapter is simply a retelling of the fall of Numenor and the re-rise of Sauron, and then the stuff before. Um, the Lord of the Rings story, and then the stuff during the Lord of the Rings story. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's all this is. So, yep, I like the idea of just talking about points that 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 were brought out. So here's a couple of points that are different. So for those of you that watched the Lord of the Rings movies, most people think of it. There's this whole. In fact, there's a whole meme about you know the throw it into the fire with um, Agent Smith yelling, throw it into the smoke. Oh, sorry, I mean Lord <laughs> Elrond yelling, throw it into the fire, and then. And uh, Isildur is saying no. And um, so it turns out, though, that Círdan was there, too. So it was Elrond and Círdan mm -hmm. trying. Círdan, the um, the elf given much short shrift, who's, who's around for almost everything, and nobody ever talked about him, really. <laughs> Which was one of Tolkien's regrets, actually. He actually regretted not spending more time on Círdan. Because, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Can't remember that's where, cool. Where that's from. So Kierden was there um, trying to convince Isildur, but be right before that scene, even the battle scene. I know you wanted to talk about this too, Jonathan. So, so yeah. the the whole cutting of the ring, like this is an iconic thing now. Everyone thinks that Isildur, like Sauron, is and kills Elendil, Isildur's father. Um, we don't even see anything about him killing Gilgalad. Um, Although there was an un, there was an un, um, a, there was a cut scene in which apparently Sauron is like lifting up Gilgalad Gil from that was actually filmed by Jackson and his crew, um, but it didn't make the final cut. But um, but then based, so basically Sauron just beats everybody, and then he's slow mo reaching for for um, Isildur, and Isildur like cuts his the ring, fingers off of his hand, and the ring goes with it, and then Sauron dies or his form is destroyed. Turns out that ain't, that ain't what happened. That's not. <laughs> there's a, there's plenty of evidence actually in various hints and retellings and details given at different places, like in the Council of Elrond, which tell a, a quite different story of that that main battle. Did you want to talk about that, Jonathan? I think one of the things that's left out is is Gilgalad's spear has a name, which makes it Iglos. Iglos, important, right? And we don't get that in the films and and certainly in here what we what we uh what tolkien wrote was against iglos the spear of gilgalad none could stand and the sword of elendil filled orcs and men with fear uh for shown with the light of the sun and of the moon and it was named narsal and again we find we know that when something has a name there's a story to that name we i'm sure tolkien had a story maybe it's in the history of middle earth somewhere i don't know or it was still in his head but to have that not be a part of it and then and then he writes later Sauron himself came forth and he wrestled with Gilgalad and Elendil and they both were slain and the sword of Elendil broke under him as he fell. And I feel like the battle between Gilgalad and Elendil and 
uh, Sauron was so much greater than Sauron swinging a giant mace, casting guys 100 yards in the distance like a bad field goal. Uh, I, exactly. I wish that we would have seen a better battle. And I think of this battle in the same way as like, you know, a Gilgalad and, and a Balrog. Like that would be a great battle. Or uh, Fing, man, am I going to get the FNLs right here? Uh, <laughs> Morgoth with Fingolfin. 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 Yeah, Fingon, Fingolfin, Finarfin. Fingon and Fingolfin. That's the problem. You put them together and you get Fingolfin if you do Fingon and Finarfin. And I'm just, anyway. Okay, so Fingolfin, right? And there's a great battle between an elf and um, and a Maiar, right? Or a, an Ainur. So uh, to have this be just a, a small battle with Sauron reaching down like a bad dream to grab uh, Elendil's. Uh, I don't know, whatever he's... I don't even know what he's trying to grab there at that point. His head, like he could have just smashed him with it. So anyway, I, I wish we would have gotten that battle mm. with Igalos. The Spear of Gilgalad. I mean, come on. We, how, how many times have we seen a spear with a... Anyway, we saw him at Helm's Deep, but that was inappropriate anyway. It's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And also there's another detail that we know about the battle because Tolkien wrote it in his notes um, uh, that was going to be part of the Council of Elrond chapter, but it didn't make the final cut, but it was... So it's part of his unfinished tales or lost tales um, thing. But basically, he talks about the, how the hand of Sauron was black and burned like fire. And so Gilgalad mm-hmm. was destroyed. That's 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 the quote. It says <laughs> it, it's, it, it said the ring misseth maybe the heat of Sauron's hand, which was black and yet burned like fire. And so Gilgalad was destroyed. So basically what happened is like Sauron's fighting the high king of the men and the high king of the elves together with Iglos and Narsil, and it's this epic battle, and it just goes on and on, probably goes on for a while, and then um, Elendil is slain, and his sword's broken beneath him, and I can, and and, and Gilgalad is, you know, st- probably impales Sauron or something like that, because they ba- they basically between the two of them they destroy Sauron's body. Sauron is overthrown, yeah. but there's a scene where Sauron's hand burns like fire. So, and, and, and Gilgalad's destroyed by it. So like Sauron basically grabs Gilgalad with his hand and, and burns him to death as, as he's, hmm. as his, hmm. I imagine it with the spear and with the spear inside Sauron's body, yeah. because yeah, yeah. The, that, I mean, that's how is that? How else? Cause if Sauron just kills the two Kings, well, how is he overthrown? He isn't overthrown because uh, Tolkien does make it clear. Isolor comes to the body of Sauron and cuts the ring off his hand. And that's why Sauron's spirit flees. Mm. Um, and so, so anyway, there's, so there's this epic battle that we're missing, which is a shame. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting detail that it, it says, you know, Gilgalad and Elendil were both slain. The sword of Elendil broke under him as he fell, but Sauron was also thrown down. And then yeah. it just says it, it just says a Sildor cut the ruling ring off his hand. It's it's like he's already gone. He's already beaten. But right, then later exactly. on, but then later on, a Sildor says, uh, like when he's saying he's not going to throw the ring into the fire, he says, "This I will have as wear guild for my father's death and my brother's." Was it not I that dealt the enemy his death blow? Oh, so that's it's a like good a, a, a Sildor comes in and goes, "Like I'm the one that took him out. That's, I'm the oh, one that got excellent. him." It's it. I, I deserve this ring, and it's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you're just you're just making this up, like, right. right? So, so that's a good point, Dan. So, so basically, Sauron was overthrown. I, you just like imagine him sitting there with a, a spear sticking out of him, and you know, with all the the, the damage done by Elend by Narsil, and the the two kings are dead, but he's like sort of sitting there on the ground. Is, he's overthrown. Like, what what does that mean, physically speaking? It means that you're you basically can't. You can't go anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your your body is wrecked, and so, but clearly he's not dead because a sildor comes up and says deals and deals him with the death blow. So, and then cuts the cuts the ring off his off of his finger. So, so yeah, it's it's cool. Um, also, Isildur is apparently German because he uses Vergeld. Fucking <laughs> yeah. like to use a lot of different languages. Yeah, it's okay, it's all right. Um. Yeah, I, I feel like we. It's there's so much about like this is the point at which then that um, you the right the the ring passes out of of history at this point because Elendil Esseldor is slain uh, on the shores of the Anduin, or in actually or is it the it's the Anduin right? Am I remembering all this here correctly? Yes, you are remembering. Yeah, and that he's right. And what they showed in the in the film was was generally pretty right. Although in unfinished tales, there's a whole story about. 
how did how did the news of the ring and, and the the defeat of of Isildur come out of it with let's see there was one Otar his esquire who was keeping he had given the shards of the sword to Nas, uh, to Elendil and there's a whole story in the unfinished tales about that which is kind of fun it goes into great detail about what happened with Isildur and how did one or two people escape that uh, and bring the shards of Narsil back um but we get a lot of history facts and I feel like we could spend a lot of time going through all that, but I, maybe the better thing is for you guys to read it and then um, post some questions in our discord chat. If we want to get into some of those next week too. Uh, was there anything else in this chapter that, that you guys wanted to, to look at more, more deeply instead of just going through it again, point by point? Well, yeah, I, I guess for me com, coming through this for the first time, I, I, I got a lot of details that were interesting to me that jumped out at me was, um, just about the North Kingdom of Arnor and, mm. and how after the last alliance, they're just completely wrecked. They've lost so many people that they can't even recover. And yep. it's it, it and according to Tolkien, they just descend into these petty kingdoms that are all fighting with each other and they all get taken out one by one by by outside enemies. And then it's Tolkien makes the point of just saying they they, they leave nothing but green mounds. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, then, then you have that. That's the the remnants of of that people are the Rangers of the North. And I just thought that that was a really, really interesting backstory. So at the at the end of the Second Age, um, going or I guess going into the Third Age, all all you have for the Kingdom of the North is like you have, and and, and this is all uh, being kept track in Rivendell was that you just have the lineage, like you you. You still have like the father to son, father to son of who the true heir is, and then you, you have shards of the sword, and yeah. like that's all that's left of that, that whole kingdom. <laughs> how how long did that? Because the whole third age is about three thousand years, like three thousand twenty or something like that. Mm-hmm. How long did the northern kingdom last in the third age? Uh, until it was like 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 until it devolved into these petty kingdoms, these petty. Uh, groups of people just fighting for their space. Do we know offhand? I, I'm going to. I, I don't know offhand because um, I think it, it's still a long time. I feel like it's a thousand years or something like that. Uh, so according to this, I just uh, in this chapter it says it came to pass in the days of Arendur, the seventh king that followed Valadil, Valandil, Val- mm-hmm. that so, the men of Westerness, the Dunedain, became divided. Yep, that's that's uh, third age eight sixty one, yeah. so high. That's hiking Aerendir. Um, remember, he's like Aerendil. Um, and that's when Arnor divides into Arthedain, Rudar, and Cardolan. Mm-hmm. Rudar, right? Hmm. And so, and so you you and which actually brings up there's a comment that Denethor makes disparagingly uh, towards Gandalf when he says he knows about Aragorn. And and it basically is diminishes Aragorn's um, Aragorn's lineage, which I I thought was weird when I was read this when I was young, but now I realize. So he's a steward of Gondor, the great kingdom. That's the that's actually when when the kingdom of Arnor that Dan mentions um, as as it diminishes, Gondor actually grows stronger. So he's part of the way his heirs view it as you know, like the true inheritance of Numenor, basically. And and so the fact that there is a high king, because technically Valandil, the son of um, Isildur, took up um, residence in Anuminus in the north, in Arnor. Um, so technically the high king was up there, but even, and then the, the, he had the, the, the unbroken line to Aragorn. So even though Aragorn's technically the high king, what does that mean to Gondor? Is Denethor's point like you're just mm-hmm. you're just a bunch of squabbling you know lords, and Tolkien even even uh, you know reinforces that that was the reality with Arnor, which is interesting. At what point then? Sorry, and this is this is me coming into like trying to figure out all the uh, times. When was Imladris? When when did the right? Uh, when did Imladris become that stronghold of the elves? Like he gathered many elves there, right? That's what Tolkien writes. Uh, in all the days of the third age after the fall of Gilgalad, Master Elrond abode in Imladris and he gathered many elves. It feels like, here's what it feels like, uh, what I got out of this part of this when it comes geographically and people-wise. The people, either they scatter into nothingness 
or things coagulate, right? So you've got like, okay, little stronghold, you got, you got minus a tier left. You've got uh, Imladris, you've got Lorien. Uh, even the Shire is, you know, it becomes like this, this, this abode of just the hobbits there, ultimately. And everything else is, uh, everything else is, is really scattered. There's no nation left really anywhere. And you could say Rohan is kind of one, but really they're, they're, they're a small people group. Uh, and it feels like everything has become because of because of the great destruction of the last alliance. It nothing is left as a great nation anymore. There's no there's no right. There's no more Gondor. There's no more Arnor. It's just you know, as we would wipe sweep salt off the table, as we learned in the Rings of Power. <laughs> these people, uh, there's not much left. That's true. Now the answer to your question about Enlogis was it was much earlier than the Third Age. So. Back in the rings, oh, I, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the rings right. of power, it was established right after the the claim, Sauron forged the One Ring. Yeah, but but it was after the it was then it was after. Uh, I guess that's where the, all the elves, the, the remaining elves, went. Was in Ladris or Lorien, or or or, 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 or Linden or the Grey Havens. Right. There's there's really three strongholds left, right. um, which correspond to the three Elven rings. Which um, I so so and the quote I was just going to read was. In that time, so from that time, war never ceased between Sauron and the elves, and Oregion was laid waste, and Celebrimbor slain, and the doors of Moria were shut. In that time, the stronghold and refuge of Imladris that, that men call Rivendell was founded by Elrond Half-Elven, and long it endured. So, yes. so that's okay. that's the founding of Rivendell. That's back in the Second Age, before the, before the fall of Numenor, when Numenor is still a great power. Um, so, and then um, sixteen ninety-seven at- of the Second Age, apparently. All right, there you go. Which, and which then, what do you think about that? That's four thousand five hundred years before the ring was cast into Mount Doom, or before Gollum fell into Mount Doom. That's that's crazy. The amount of time. I mean, when you think that Arnor lasted a whole another eight hundred years, essentially after uh, seven hundred years after uh, the last alliance. Exactly. How I many? Mean, we, how we, many in our world? How many kingdoms? We think last we're cool because we're almost because because our nation's two. almost three almost three hundred years old. So we think we're cool, and like yeah. uh, you know, that was just half of the decline of Arnor in, yeah, in Tolkien's right, right, right. Um, in Tolkien's uh, story. So long ages have passed, and a lot of people, um, no doubt, rise and fall. But you know, and one honestly, of the things, and this is why. Let me just say. This is yeah. why I am so annoyed with Rings of Power compressing the timeline because the timeline yes. is important for grand things. Uh, one of the things I read, I can't remember where, is was Tolkien believed that um, time and distance create create great landscape and great like historicity, uh, and you miss all of that in the Rings of Power. Miss meaning it doesn't feel like a history, a lived-in place when things happen instantly, when there is no time passage, when there is no distance traveled, when there is no quest that takes you know years to accomplish or kingdoms that fall over many decades it feels abbreviated and less important less impactful yeah, yeah. anyway it, sorry it, you're, abs- you're absolutely right i wanted to w- one of the things that i f- passages i found cool which was it has two quotes that i would like to highlight one of um and they they um they bear upon the rings of power the second one does the first one doesn't the first one's just pure talking it's awesome he's talking about the three rings and this is after uh, the fall of Sauron at the last alliance. So after the one ring is lost, but not destroyed, and Sauron has not reformed. Of the three rings that the elves had preserved unsullied, no open word was ever spoken among the wise, and few even of the Eldar knew where they were bestowed. Yet after the fall of Sauron, their power was ever at work, and where they abode, their mirth also dwelt, and all things were unstained by the griefs of time. Um, so first of all, I have two thoughts on that. A, I love the idea that the quality that they bring is mirth and where they abode, their mirth also dwelt. The, the, the quality of laughter, you see it actually in the elves of Rivendell when the dwarves and the, and the, in the Hobbit first come upon them, they're laughing and singing. And that laughter of the elves that, that, um, and obviously Imladris Rivendell is one of those havens protected by one of the three rings. So that's the first thing. I love the connection between laughter and the rings, which is because laughter ultimately is, you know, pure laughter or good laughter is something that only good, that, you know, real true joy 
is something only goodness can bring. So that's beautiful. The second thing is I, I appreciate what Tolkien's trying to serve up here, but I think he fails a little bit. Here's why. <laughs> Few even among the Eldar knew where they were bestowed. Yet after the fall of Sauron, their power was ever at work, and where they abode, their mirth also dwelt, and all things were unstained by the griefs of time. So you got elves, they live forever, and they're they're hanging around for thousands of years. And it's like, I wonder where the three elven rings are. And it's <laughs> and and like <laughs> well, let's see. There's only a few in fact, there are literally only three places that the elves live that we're told excellent. That's not quite true. Dole Amroth has, has a small community of elves, etc. But but three, you know, there's Linden, there's um Imladris, and there's uh Lothlorien. And those three places seem untouched and mirth dwells there. Huh. Nah, couldn't be. There's no <laughs> the rings. And the rings definitely aren't there. So either the elves are far dumber than I we give them credit for or Tolkien's trying a little a little too hard. Second thing I wanted to bring out was a quote about Galadriel who is one of my favorite characters from Tolkien and hence one of my Tolkien's favorite characters too. Yes. My distaste for what they did to her in rings of power. A queen. She was, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Whereas the ring of adamant adamant was in the land of Lorien where dwelt the lady Galadriel, a queen. She was of the woodland elves, the wife of Celeborn of Doriath. Yet she herself was of the Noldor and remembered the day before days in Valinor. And she was the mightiest and fairest of all the elves that remained in Middle-earth. Okay. How, what a lack of imagination does this room full of writers that produce Rings of Power have to have? That we are, we know that she's the mightiest and the fairest. And the only thing they can do is 13 year old spaz she's out getting younger girl yeah i mean so like she's degenerating she's becoming like you know in her old age apparently in in rings of power she's she's become she's re- reverted to her to, to a petulant teenager it's so sad and that the fact that they think that they have to do that so they can show an arc they, that i'm sure that's why i'm sure they're gonna like season two and season three they're gonna be oh god well, gonna well, wait, wait wait let me defend the rings of power oh. she oh, was please, the leader of the northern armies and she <laughs> defeated a snow troll so clearly she was the mightiest there her six person army uh, found i guess thangaradrim or something up north i don't know what it was that they found up there however and fairest i don't think there's anybody whiter on the show than her <laughs> so, you may be right about that you know what? You know what? You make a compelling argument. Yeah, um, if I believed that mightiest was only to be read the way thirteen-year-old boys think, but that's of mightiest. the way they read it. That's the way most yeah. most people read the stories these days. I mean, look at the new Ahsoka show. You're not getting any mails there. You have to have mighty. Simply means carrying a sword or a blaster or something like that. There's right. nothing beyond that. So. And the, the coolest thing was, like I think I've pointed out in the rings of, uh, earlier, is that Galadriel um, shows her power in the, in the appendices. It describes what she does at during the time of the the last the battle with um sauron at the end of the war of the ring um lothlorien is being attacked and she takes the fight to dol guldur mm-hmm. and she levels the mountain the fortress of dol guldur herself she levels it which means that she basically causes earthquakes and upheavals with no, her no, power she had a giant sword uh yeah that's right <laughs> a giant sword that knocked down fortresses Okay. It's like uh, it's like that Final Fantasy character. Yeah. She's a Super Saiyan. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Checks yeah. out. But mm-hmm. remember, they didn't have the Silmarillion. They weren't even allowed to read it. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, that's the thing. Of, of course, oh, they goodness. were allowed to read it. They just couldn't get just do something so so specific. It got sued. I know. Uh, my yeah. point about mightiest is there are so many ways one can be mighty and they chose the dumbest, yes. most puerile way that one can be mighty. They chose the Conan and Barbarian way. So, <clears throat> right, like, right. okay. Um, okay. A little tiny detail about Kurunir, who is also known as Saruman. Saruman. Man, um, he's a man. Kurunir, he, he, he comes to Middle-earth at, with Gandalf and, the, and Radagast and the other two wizards. And the two blue wizards, he goes to the east and then he comes back and that's where all the trouble starts. He sets himself up in Isengard when he comes back. So he has spent some indeterminate amount of time in the east. And we also know that um, Alatar and Palando, who are the two uh, blue wizards that are not talked about much in Tolkien's mm-hmm. word writing, but they are the other two of the five wizards. And 
they also went to the east and they failed in their mission. We don't know if they were killed or whether or or they were corrupted or they just lost their way the way Radagast does. But they they um, so I thought it was cool that Kurinir or Saruman um, it for, is, comes and he's he's basically doing his job. At least that's what's implied, along with Gandalf and Radagast in the west, and then he goes to the east. Into turn amount of time passes, he comes back. And he immediately sets up shop in Isengard, basically makes himself the leader of the um, Council of the Wise and begins to study the ring lore of Sauron to, so he can craft his own rings and or find the one ring. So that's so something happened in the East. And I, I would love that would be a really cool and, story it, to explore. Isn't it in here where uh, in the East, right, the one uh, Sauron they took as their king and lord? Yes. Uh, and I'm sure that was a remnant of what what was left there after Sauron was destroyed is that these kingdoms were still remained that we don't know anything about, but they were, they were beholden to Sauron. And so he probably learned a ton of what happened there and the power of Sauron and maybe about the rings at that point too. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that he was a traitor when he came back from the no. East. Cause I don't, I don't think he was, but he, he, he became enamored of that way of seizing, of holding power. Um, and he had and, more knowledge, but less wisdom. That's right. That's right. It's uh, it is interesting to me that Tolkien makes the point of saying that Mithrandir had an affinity toward the elves, and mm-hmm. Kurinir had an affinity towards men, and it's it's almost like he's saying something about them just in that. That, and then you have Radagast who just hangs out with squirrels or something. I don't know, but. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, that's actually, I love Radagast because Radagast is Tolkien, like Tolkien's pointing out, look, there are a lot of ways of failing your trust. So if you're given a trust and a responsibility, there are many ways to fail that. One is to become a traitor like Saruman, like you become evil, you 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 know, you drink the Kool-Aid. Another is be defeated, like probably either Alatar, Palando, or both were. Another is you just stop caring and start doing your own thing and get distracted like Radagast. Rad- to me, Radagast feels like the 14-year-old teenager on their iPhone. It's like, you know, just what? distracted by all the bling yeah, and then yeah. you know, can't, can't be bothered to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So at what point, let's just kind of, so we all know Saruman. We all, we all know that he betrayed or at least he was, well, let's talk about that. At what point did he completely shift from being uh, an ally to an enemy what was what was the point at which he decided i'm all in it for me was it when he learned that the ring was found uh was it when he started uh when he looked into the palantir and things were revealed to him that were either true or untrue at what point do we think that he turned because i mean because in the same way you think galadriel they they, they saw anatar and they're like eh, he's kind of fishy like maybe he's a maya we don't even know what he is but we don't know have any record of this guy so we're not gonna do it she didn't have the insight uh, uh, to have to to at the council to say okay kurinir like clearly we're you're going down some ways that maybe we shouldn't and so he shouldn't be the leader uh, at what point did he turn so um let's be clear about the fact that we when we know he was turned so tolkien says this is after um, the uh, the uh, rise of Sauron as the necromancer in Dol Guldur and Mirkwood. And mm-hmm. Gandalf discovers it and is, is captured, but then escapes. And, um, and, and there's this debate um, about um, what to, what, whether to find the ring or not. And it says that Sauron basically lies to them and says... Um, for I believe not, said he, that the one will ever be found again in Middle-earth. Into Anduin it failed, and long ago I deem it was rolled to the sea. There it shall lie until the end when all the world, this world is broken and the deeps are removed. Interesting reference to the end of the mm. of time. But but I'm more interested in the fact, in two paragraphs later, it says, Thus the wise were troubled, but none as yet perceived that Kurinir, Saruman, had turned to dark thoughts and was already a traitor in heart. And then Tolkien goes on to describe in great detail how he was a traitor. He was basically a traitor because he wanted the One Ring for himself. And he had figured out a lot of things about how the One Ring, he he figured out that the One Ring would try to find its way back to Sauron once now that Sauron was risen. And so he was going to try to catch it before it came to Sauron and use it for himself. I don't think he's mastered by Sauron. I don't think that, that, that his, I think the final stage 
where Sauron basically um, dominates him, at least to a certain extent, through the Palantir, um, is it hasn't come yet. I think because uh, Sauron isn't in Mordor yet. Sauron is still still in um, in uh, in uh, Dol Guldur. So, so when does it happen? Well, sometime after that mysterious visit to the east, when he comes back and sets up an Orthanc and seeks to ringcraft, and then he becomes enamored with the One Ring, basically. And so, and then he, at, at, at at that point, he's a traitor in, in heart, says Tolkien. So. So where where does it where is it found? Well, let's see. How are the elves, the Noldor, corrupted? What was their downfall? It was the love of their own hands and the crafting of the rings of power. That was that was where the Noldor mm-hmm. fell. It was Fionor's overlove of the work of his own hands, which were the Silmarils. And the Silmarils by themselves were not bad; they were not evil things. Right. But but nevertheless, that was the source of his downfall. Um, so so that's where I think um, Saruman's Somewhere downfall the... is when he begins to craft rings of power himself or try to learn about them and then become enamored with the one ring and trying to, trying to reclaim it. Yeah. So the, the white council occurred in 2463, the first one, which apparently was the same year the one ring was discovered. Uh, and I mean, it's not until, you know, far later that, um, they realized Sauron, sorry. Again, the problem that when you watch the films, Kids are like, who's Sauron? Sauron, 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 Sauron. I do that still too. I got him. I got him straight. But he's. We could just call him Kurinir because that's the way that's what Tolkien calls him. So it was in 2759, 300 years after the first White Council, that he gains keys to Orthanc, and it's at that point, right? That's when he's on his way back. He he came back after his many years in the East, and something in there turned. Yeah, I, uh, I I think it's the so, east, and I I had never caught that before. I didn't I didn't remember yeah, that. Yeah, that so in those years thing. between the White Council starting and he was mm-hmm. being named the leader of it and taking, I think I think by the time he gets into Orthanc, that that's when he knows what, he's he's there to set up a stronghold. Yep. Uh, and I think now interestingly there and d- just a total or maybe a left field, but the War of the Rohirrim anime movie mm-hmm. um, apparently has Saruman come in at the end. In, into Isengard. What? Well, see, here's the thing. I, I don't know how the timeline lines up, but it was, it's so I would be interested now to compare. But but basically, the Dunlendings have taken the area of Isengard, and they are um, winning the battle against the Rohirrim. Um, and okay. They, oh, that does they, happen the same year. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so so the fact that Saruman comes in, so so it looks like. They might be sticking to the text. I've now, just I've cool. just been burned by member berries so many times by callbacks to the thing. I I feel like they're not doing it uh, honestly, and my uh, I'm Pavlov's Wait, so, dog so when it comes to. Are you saying about. Are you saying you don't even though Saruman does take? I'm saying that my initial reaction is like, come on, are you really going to do that? And then I realized, oh, that did actually well, happen. To it actually time, happened. So, so yeah, which which fun. is good. Like, right? Yeah. We should be happy. Yeah, they're actually sticking to the text. Sounds well, they have a better writer. They're just adding a whole female protagonist instead of that. What doesn't exist in the story, right? The female the protagonist writer. is, uh, you know, His the daughter, queen of the gods. Daughter. What? Oh, Freck, what's her name? Hera. So Tolkien doesn't give her a name, but the name they've given her is Hera. <laughs> it is Hera. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about this more, I'm sure, in our live stream, <laughs> uh, which probably happened a few days ago at the point yep. this comes out. All right, guys. One hour in. What? Any any final thoughts on this chapter? Not final thoughts on the Silmarillion. Not final thoughts on this book, but anything else we want to want to look at? I like Dan going back to like in that last sentence, right? Um, where, where Tolkien writes, "The heir of Isildur had taken up the lordship of men when all these things were done, and the 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 dominion of the West had passed to him. And then it was made plain that the power of the Three Rings was also ended. And to the firstborn, the world grew old and gray. So with the power." Of the one ring with all the power that was enveloped in the one ring and the three wings with that gone the the, the world finally after tens of thousands of years grew old and gray to them mm. and uh, they set sail and that was the end of it it is truly it's truly like when you think about it it truly wraps it up like i love that like there's an end now like this story is over because they're no longer in middle earth and I just I find that he, he isn't it cool it so that well. the world has gone old and gray and the the last place that the elves inhabit is called the Gray Havens. Huh? Must you bring that up? That's really interesting. Why is it called the Gray Havens? Is it the mist? Is it the like probably the mist? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I love the fact that we that two paragraphs from the end, the paragraph right before the one you read, mm-hmm. we finally get Kierden saying something. <laughs> after after the Lord this of the Elves, the Hobbit this elf that has been around for like <laughs> eight thousand years, that he finally says something. This is what it, and it's when he gives Gandalf the Ring of Fire. It, it's a mm. it's a throwback to yeah. before the the Lord of the Rings story when he gave Gandalf. Take now this ring, he said, for thy labors and thy cares will be heavy, but in all it will support thee and defend thee from weariness. So that's cool because it means what's one of the signs. You know, Gandalf was basically. A, a tireless traveler and worker in all the uh, amongst the free peoples of Middle Earth. For this is the Ring of Fire, and was here he with born, mi- sorry, real fast, was he born at Quivienen? Wasn't I he, believe so. So he's older than Galadriel. He is. I believe. I believe he's a first generation elf. Wow. So like he knew Elway and Olway and and every, every the the dark elves, the Teleri, everybody. Like he was there. Now I could be wrong. Maybe maybe we'll have to go back and verify that. Um, but. But he was yeah, he was definitely he, he was yeah. definitely around um, in the first age. So I don't know. That's crazy. So Kierden, anyway, you know, like that's how that's how long it takes elves to grow a beard. Like we think <laughs> it, it takes us a long time sometimes for facial hair to kick in. It takes elves like eight thousand like, years. It's like ah, I bought this blade. It's already rusty. It's been like thirty years, and I still haven't used it. That's right. Yeah, Dan, that's you're right. looking good. You're no elf. It's only it's only when they get. <laughs> mithril razor blades that that everything's oh, that's right <laughs> then those last forever yeah the lightning and the balrog oh, together that's right that's right all right um, sorry so he go says, ahead and read this for this is the ring of fire and herewith maybe thou shalt rekindle hearts to the valor of old in a world that grows chill it's a beautiful mm, prose right yeah. there but as for me my heart is with the sea and i will dwell by the gray shores guarding the havens until the last ship sails then i shall await thee I mean, it's it's is as beautiful. I mean, he's giving up like one of the three great rings, and he just realizes his heart isn't in it anymore. He's just he's going to guard the ships and keep making them. And because remember, the funny thing about the elves and the Grey Havens is they're always making these boats, and then they sail away and they never come and back. They never come so back. Yeah, like they've got to keep making new boats because people keep leaving in oh. ships and never coming back. Yeah, yeah. So so their whole life. I mean, they're elves; they live forever, so they can make boats for a long time. But um, but so his his heart is with the sea. And he's there on the shores. The funny thing about Kierden in the sea, this is like this is a really interesting thing. I wanna I wanna write a paper someday about the elves in the sea because it's like the sea is a an attraction and a barrier to them. Like they you know, they long for Valinor. There's a light and beauty there that doesn't it doesn't exist in Middle Earth, but the sea is that part of Middle Earth that they can't escape. And it just call it, and there's some elves that never like Kierden has literally been living on the coast in various coasts. For eight thousand years, um, you know, he just he can't he can't get over the but ocean. Maybe maybe that's why he lasts or, so long too, because he's the one elf that never left the sea. He was always mm-hmm. he was on the shores of Quivienne, and, and then whenever he set um, a land, he didn't he didn't he didn't you know build uh, the, the the halls of Thingol, Doriath. <clears throat> yeah, he uh, built yeah. he built plenty of, of fastnesses and and cities on the coasts of yes, Balerion and Middle Earth. Yeah, but he's always on the uh, coast, and he's always. And so he heard I mean, the he's, music of the Iron Horn most clearly. That's his title, cured in the shipwright. And he, like yeah. that's what he does. He makes boats for eight thousand years. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that'd be a great story. Somewhere. Pretty cool that Kieran finally gets a line, two paragraphs from the end of the story. <laughs> we don't hear anything from him, and he's the oldest elf that's seen the most things. That's gone through life and death and destruction and victory. Seen the the the. He's the, watched the, a third the, of the, the trees, water of the. <laughs> he's seen the trees die. Like everything, so a third of the land could fall into the yeah. ocean. Yeah, and he was there. <laughs> when, he battled uh, Sauron. Like, come on, this guy. What was Kyrdin, um one of the Teleri that never went to Valinor, or yes, did sir. he? What, okay, well, we don't so know he, if he went to Tol Arisea. It is possible, but it doesn't say anything about it. So he could have right. gone to Tol Arisea and then come back. Remember, Tol Arisea is the island draw off right. the coast of Valinor, which you can yeah. see the beauty of Valinor from the light and everything, but you, it's not actually technically part of Valinor. And so, and so he might've, he might've traveled there cause he's a, I mean, he's on ships. It's 8,000 years. I gotta think that at some point he probably visits Tolarisea. Oh, by the way, that was something we didn't mention. Uh, final detail that I just love. Yes. N- not, a, not important at all. Turns out there are eight Palantiri. 
Oh, uh, the seeing stones in Orthanc. Yes, the, the the crystal balls, yes. as people will know them from the movies and such. But they are the seeing stones of uh, and and there there's always seven, and it talks about the seven many times in Lord of the Rings. Turns out there's a master stone. Oh, like a master M. ring. There's a master stone, and it sits in the tower in Tol Arisea. It sits in that island right off the coast of Valinor, and it's basically implied that it's through that master stone that. Um, that the other stones can look in both distance and time. So, uh, which is pretty cool because the master stone would of course have sight of Valinor, the undying lands where probably time has less meaning. And so maybe that's one of the reasons that the Palantiri can look in time. So anyway, cool detail. Yeah. I like that. All right, guys. Uh, wow. We, we've gone we've gone through it all i'm sure we missed stuff that means like in eight years we'll have to go back through the silmarillion one more time <laughs> yep mm-hmm. um all right we got next, we got one more show one, more, one show. more show we'll talk about the whole thing um in in our next episode i think about the silmarillion i think it'll be our next episode uh but in the in the meantime guys uh we will get into our extended podcast which you can get by going to the one ring.com slash member if i can bring up that that little thing here. There it is. Thewonder.com slash member. And if you're a member, remember. (laughs) Make Tolkien great again. You can get the make Tolkien great again hat (laughs) uh, and get $4 off instead of $2 off, which you get if you just use the word great uh, as a coupon code. So uh, join us in our extended podcast. Uh, We'll, we'll go through those questions for our members. Yeah. And become a member, you know, give us some questions on discord. There's some great memes up in there. Uh, I'm going to develop. Our... I'm going to develop the graphic, which says that on the hat, but in mm-hmm. Tengwar, so we can we can add an option. So Dude, you can, buy, you can buy it in Elvish. That would be too. awesome. That would be funny. People would look at it and go like, "It's a huh? That's not to make a great America great again." <laughs> that would be great. All right, guys, we're going to get in our extended podcast. All you people who aren't members, become a member. Thewondering.com/slash/member. In the meantime, guys, it's off to the races. <laughs>